everybody and welcome back to BYOB, or as some people are calling it, BYWOB. Um, hello, Mr. <laughs> ben Haynes. How are you doing this week? <laughs> some people, us too. I was really, do you know what's really strange, mate? As soon as you said hello and welcome back to, I was like, Rod the Roost podcast. I just said it in my head. And free then, plug, so free you, plug. Thank you, you very much, that, mate. Was, <laughs> you're welcome um yeah that really sort of j- threw me there how are you getting on mate all good not bad it's a bit hot again today isn't it it's a bit hot suddenly we've got summer again yeah. suddenly the uk's remembered that there's a uh there's there's there is a summer going on um we've got a little bit more of it man i love it i love it i cut that i'm I, such a sort of I, like i love um, it solar power until it gets to this point mate that's that's my issue with it i love it until it gets to this point when it's like 7 30 and it's just boiling hot in my house and I cannot cool down you know that's that's when I'm like yeah, didn't bring you, on winter I saw bring you tweeting maybe asking for didn't you didn't you ask for advice on a good aircon unit <laughs> <laughs> yeah like one that's not attached to that but this was this was in uh, this was like in spring because there was a lot of talk that this summer was going to be like last summer which was you know it's like Mediterranean weather in Britain yeah was, that was, was mental horrific it was horrific was, and, was it a 39 degree I think so. I think it even got worse, didn't it? I think it got even worse than that, didn't it? Hit about 42, 40, 41, 42. I once went on. I once went away to um, Tunisia um, because the person I was going with said that they didn't feel that going to like the hot European countries was enough during the summer because they don't think sort of thirty four, thirty five is that hot. And so we spent a week in Tunisia in the peak of summer at forty three. Um, and it was honestly the worst experience of my life. <laughs> but I mean, okay. But you you go to Greece quite a lot, though, right? Yeah, yeah. And I and hear I, Greece is like unlivable scorching. in summer. Yeah, and I always I, I I like when I go on holiday, I can't sit still. So Christina is one of these people. She can lie on the beach, and it will. She's really happy to just lie there, and is overjoyed to just chill. Um, after five minutes, I need to get up and run around. So I'll just go for a run. And there'll be Greek people who, like, I'll be running along. It's sort of midday. It's boiling. And I quite like getting a sweat on. But Greek people will, like, slow down their cars and, like, take the piss out of me in Greek for <laughs> being stupid enough to be running during midday. I have no idea what they're saying, but it can't be positive because they're usually <laughs> snarling at me. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not going to lie, mate. It sounds like you deserve it. That's all I'm going to say. You know, going out. <laughs> Put it on my, go and get yourself a beer, you idiot. Exactly. Um, Have a beer and a Duras, you know? I, <laughs> oh, man. God, that they're danger. I would eat them all day, every day if I could. Just like it's got everything that you want. It, it's just so lovely. It just juicy, carby, get it in your mush. And before <laughs> I forget, mate, I need to just throw back to last week. How much fun was it having Jack Gallagher on? It was absolutely brilliant. And just how much fun was it recording in person? You know? Oh, like, yeah, I know. Also, we're like, we, we, I, I realised during the kind of when I was listening back that we didn't really explain for people that were just doing the audio version of the pod. Jack and I were sat like really close to each other. That's why we kept getting so giggly because I was sat about like 10 centimetres from your ben face. Was tickling was like, me under the table. That's what it was. <laughs> 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 I just, just I'll prompt you when you need to talk. Ooh. Yeah. I, um, I, I reckon, how about this, mate? How about this for goals? You know, that we're, we're in a goals-driven society now, right? Set some goals. Let's get there. 
What about, let's aim for, by episode 100, or maybe for episode 100, we do a live show. How about that? Should yeah, we, uh, that's... that. Like, I'm going to set myself I, up for a, a massive fall here, but, you know. Well, maybe we'll try and get... Yeah, no, I love that. Because I really, really want to do one of these, like, in, in person, live. I, oh, yeah. I mean, at the moment, it would be like... I imagine we'd, we'd struggle to fill out a venue... But hopefully one day we'll get people who would quite like to come and hear us waffle a lot about 90s and early noughties in person. But man, I'd love to do that. That'd be so good. Absolutely love it. it. What a, imagine the pressure of, of choosing the film for that week. Oh, it'd be, I mean, it'd have to be, no, no, we, can't, we can't go reeling them off now because then people are going to think we're not going to do it. Yeah. It'd have to be in, like a team in, decision or maybe if we had like a guest, they, we could like outsource the pressure to them. So that be, they but do you know what would be even better is if the guest was somebody that was in that film. Now that's oh, that's that's aiming for the stars, mate. Wowzers. That is aiming for the stars. I, so, do you uh, know what though, mate? Yeah. I don't feel like we're a million miles off calling in a couple of um, couple of people that have been in some bits and pieces. I I I, I think we should. Um, yeah, I think we should. I think we should put that as a target before episode one hundred. Definitely. So I'm feeling I'm feeling inspired by Andrew Postacoglu. What can I say, mate? You know, yeah, big time. Anything's possible. We're going to win the league. Um, exactly. Mate, have you been to the cinema this week? I have been to the cinema this week. I what, went so to what do you, watch. What do you have? I went to watch Talk to Me, um, ah. which we we need to open up a serious dialogue now, Australia, about you and horror films. Like, what is with you lot? Seriously, Wolf Creek. The Babadook, Snowtown, now like talk to me. I'm sure there's plenty of others that I've missed out there. Horrifying. Hot, like horrifying. Oh, a, really? A twisted concept. Yeah, I mean, all of those films that I've listed previously, I love them. This is the thing. I'm not digging. I'm not saying Australia makes bad horror right, films. Right, right. Quite the opposite. Brilliant films. Horrible. I mean, Wolf Creek. Have you ever seen Wolf Creek, mate? Like, no, I've never seen it. Because, like, horror films, I kind of, um, like, some I'm all in. Others I need to kind of, like, I need to build myself up to. Wolf Creek is almost, well, it is a horror film, but it's a bit thrillery. And it's just, it's bleak, man. It's a bleak film. It's so... Really? It's, it's the type of film that I'd describe as a bruise on the brain. It's kind of like Texas oh, wow. Chainsaw Massacre a bit. It's it's right. it's it's just so miserable. It's horrible. But um, talk to me. Um, is I believe it was made in 2022. It's taken a bit of time to get over here. I mean, it's absolutely smashing it. Um, relatively speaking, I think it had a tiny budget. We're talking a couple of million pounds. I think maybe four or five million um, Aussie dollars to make. I think it's made, you know, about 10 times that now in the box office. It's So it's doing well for a, for a low-budget horror film. It's... it's, it's um, I would say it's aimed at, a, at a maybe a kind of a, a Gen Z audience, I'd, I'd, I'd want to say, but I think it's still something that many people can enjoy. Um, just to give you sort of a brief synopsis of the film... It's uh, it, it's about a, a group of teenagers, basically, who have discovered what seems to be, and there's some ambiguity around it, either an embalmed hand, like it's like a forearm um, set out for anybody watching in this type of position, like in a, in a gripping claw-like fashion. 
that has got all this kind of writing and stuff all over it. But it's essentially supposed to provide a portal to speak to the dead or for the, for the person who is shaking hands with this hand, a way in which to communicate with the dead or spirits or demons or whatever. There's, there is a sense of ambiguity around that. Um, it, it, it gets like a viral reputation, this thing. You start to see kids in this town watching all these videos on, it doesn't explicitly state as TikTok, but you take as being TikTok reels, that type of thing watching all these videos of people like wigging out at these parties, like shaking hands with this thing and almost looking like they're going into some kind of drug induced state before they start, you know, waffling in these in tongues almost, or speaking in these scary voices and whatever, because they've been possessed now by the, 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 the force that they've let in. There are some rules behind the way in which people can engage with the hand Essentially, uh, a candle is lit in this almost seance-like state. That opens up the portal for the dead to come and speak. Somebody shakes hands with this, this kind of embalmed hand and then will say, I let you in. And what's supposed to happen is they're not supposed to go for any longer than a minute. Within a minute, they're supposed to be pulled out by the other people there. That basically means they have their hands taken away from the hand and the candle is blown out. That shuts the door. As you would imagine, somebody at, at one of these house parties ends up holding onto the hand for too long. They don't close the portal in time and things start to go awry. Um, the main character um, at this is a, is a, is a girl called Mia She's essentially struggling with the the death of her mother. It's the anniversary, approaching anniversary of her mother's death. And so she wants to use the hand as a means by which to potentially communicate with her. Um, but all throughout the film, you are asking the question whether or not this is a healthy step for somebody to take who is very much struggling with their, with their mental health and with the grieving process. Um, and essentially, you know, things start to unfold from this point. You get an idea that nothing good comes from this happening. I mean, if, if as a concept, it doesn't sound like it would it would be good, right? But you see kind of, as they often do with horror films, you get like a, a brief kind of four or five minute short story at the start of the film that kind of shows the culmination of what's happened to somebody who you don't know at the time, but you obviously find out after about 10 minutes into the film you assume that this person is somebody who has taken part in one of these hand ceremonies before because they end up the film opens up on a house party with a kind of a guy wigging out in a bedroom his brother's been called to come and take him home he he comes he's like you know what the hell's wrong with you the brother's there talking in tongues he's all hunched over pulls out a massive knife and stabs himself in the face um, so you understand that nothing good comes from this as the demon or the spirit or whatever it is takes more control of the person who has shaken hands with the, uh, with the hand. Um, so, I don't, you know, I don't, this isn't like a, a, a spoiler thing or anything like that. So that's kind of what the setup of the story is. Um, like I say, I think there's, there's quite a few different themes at play in this film. I think... It's obviously talking about, I think there's some fairly universal principles in there, which 
could you know extend to any period of history of young people perhaps remembering that group speak that showing off in front of the mob isn't the right thing to do if you know something's wrong if you know that you shouldn't be doing something whether that's taking drugs or stealing or do, do you know what i mean doing something um that feels wrong is to go with your gut instinct to not be pushed into doing that um i also think there's some good themes in there for young people of maybe the pressure they put one another under with you know the over kind of saturation of social media the way in which everybody's lives their mistakes are shared publicly even though they're all uniquely and everybody and this isn't just something young people do i know lots of other people do this but it does seem to be something that you know in school culture bullying culture this type of thing where everybody is worried about it happening to them because they all know they're on their own journey. They're trying to find out who they are, what life is all about, yet they can still just be so horrible to one another because at least it's not happening to me kind of thing. Um, so I think it, it touches on that type of thing and it touches on just, you know, loss about how to deal with grief, um, about, you know, family, about... Uh, uh, about just these 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 kind of cross crossroads we can all get to in our lives at any kind of age where we have some decisions to make whether we not dwell on the past but whether we allow the past to to consume us and to consume our present um and i think they do it very very well for a, for a low budget film with a young cast you know all the cast are young and they're all fantastic it's it's brilliant. It really took me by surprise. It's not your standard cheesy jump scare kind of fodder. I think there's there's a lot to this. It's a very smart horror film. And there are some, I mean, there are some horrific scares in it. And there are some horrible moments. There are, there are some moments in this film, and I won't say that I honestly, I couldn't look at the screen as they were happening. Um, well, I did not expect you to, to, to absolutely love it. That's amazing. It was it was it was it was brilliant and yeah I would uh, I would recommend go and watch it but not if you are particularly squeamish and not if you really if you don't like uh, pretty pretty nasty horror films because it is it is dark. Are we going gory? There's the, it's not a gore fest, but the moments where there is right. gore, it's horrific, is what I'd say. So they they use it sparingly and that's. Or heightens it, if you know what I mean. Although, regardless of that, like the gore that you see in there is 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 horrifying. It's horrifying. You're quite you're quite partial to a horror film, though, aren't you? You quite enjoy a, a kind of nice kind of like a, a good scary one. I am, yeah. I would definitely say I I I veer more towards the horrors that are what is it they call them now? There's some pretentious name for them where they call them like, you know, it basically a sense of saying a highbrow horror film. So you're talking more like hereditary and the right, Babadook yeah, yeah. and things like that. I haven't really gotten back into, you know, how they've like rebooted the Scream um franchise and that type of thing. That doesn't really do it for me as much, like the slasher thing, but you know what can I, what can I say, Ben? Yeah. I'll watch. I'll watch any type saw, of movie. You know, 
I saw a trailer for Saw 10 this week. <laughs> and I was like, no. And that, I found thing. that really, we just found that really painful because I loved the original Saw film. James Wan. I, just thought I mean, was... James Wan's a, a brilliant, yeah, he's a brilliant horror horror filmmaker. Yeah. And, and But it just, it, it, it really felt like you didn't see the twist in that film. I won't ruin mm. it if people haven't seen it, but you didn't see the twist in that film coming. It genuinely shocked me. And I was sat and I was like tense. I was sat with my hands like gripping my seat. Um, and I, and I d- sort of did that. I remember when the twist happens, I sort of sat there and was like, oh, oh, like, mm. you know, when you kind of actually feel like you're sort of, it's almost like a guttural discomfort that you have seeing something like that playing out in front of you. And so it, I'm kind of, when it comes to, when you get into that kind of, like you said, into the kind of slasher space where you kind of get, we're, uh, we'll still be doing Saw films until like Saw 20. I mean, in the trailer, it was like, oh, you, you we found out you've got months to live. I was like, I thought this, I sound a bit like the, the Ian Wright. Someone said you was dead. I thought genuinely thought this. I thought this guy died like five films ago, and he just found out he's terminally ill. I'm like, what's going on? How, how many of these are we doing? I guess it's one of those things, though, isn't it? Like, as long as they keep making money, they're going to keep making. Yeah, them. And yeah. I guess you know, my less cynical side says, if they keep making money, it means people enjoy them. So there's an audience you know, there somewhere. You crack right? on. You crack on if you're Do into your thing. Them, you know? Yeah, exactly. Maybe I'll, yeah. I'll. I say this. I'll probably end up streaming it when it comes to like netflix or whatever you know i'll probably end up just kind of at i'll some be honest point. i have i did tap out of them i think i saw maybe the first three and then i think i saw like i i, I honestly i couldn't even tell you mate but i want to say saw seven or eight because oh really a, just a of ours wanted to see it and we all have you know like i say we got those kind of cinema passes it means we can just go and watch yeah, any yeah, old yeah. film that we want to and a mate of ours who's really really into them um wanted to go and watch one so we we're like oh, fuck it you know it's not like it's not that they're not the type of franchise you are well i haven't seen saw four five six and seven leading up to saw eight <laughs> yeah god yeah, where you know are what I mean? we what's like, going on yeah. why won't someone explain the narrative <laughs> that little man on the tricycle isn't very nice is he <laughs> you know so. but the big words is like the first couple it really did it sort of was like oh this is getting a bit twisted and i liked the i think it might have been the second one where they all had a number on the back of their head and they had to sort of work together to everyone to sort of get their number or something to get a code to get out. Um, and it, and and oh, or, or maybe there was one that was like two timelines, and it's only at the end you realise that the the police officer was like miles behind on the timeline, and he was watching back a pre-recorded bit of footage. There were some nice twists in those early ones, and then after that, I just was like, "What on earth are we watching? This guy's died about three times now. He's getting out of control." You know, I can't even remember the name of it, but there is also, there is, somebody has kind of like ripped sort of, there was a film that came out a couple of years ago that oh, has no way. basically ripped, it's rip kind off. of ripped off Saw and ripped off a bit of Hunger Games, a bit of Battle Royale. It was, it was essentially the same principle as Saw. They managed to collect a load of people who are just bad in their own ways and put them through a series of trials and challenges, um, which each time will result in one of them dying. Um, and that's the kind of choice they have to make. But it's like, this is being streamed as entertainment for people to watch. Do you know what I mean? And I, I can't, Wait, I honestly, are I can't you even not remember just what the describing name of the film is. Squid Game? 
Well, it's mate, yeah, it's it's kind of similar to it that really as well. similar, really, yes. really similar sort yeah, of vibe. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. Squid Game was yeah. a kind of like Squid Game was a really, really, um, it was it was kind of strange because it was very, very similar in the setup, right? In terms of like how you can get into that situation and then we get revealed that people are in the end financially were kind of like bankrolling it so that they could pay to watch, et cetera, et cetera. But I I really felt like because because of the cast and because it was Korean in terms of the creation of it, it didn't, in terms of the shooting style, it didn't feel so dingy and dark and horrible. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It was was kind of like, you were a lot more accessible, I think. You know, you were actually rooting for people as opposed to Saw, it just felt like this degeneration into kind of like, just it was just really like grubby, like get me out of this film, just get me to the end of this film. And we should move on because I'm, I'll talk about this all day and people haven't come here to listen to me harp on about Saw. (laughs) One thing I did just want to say before we get into our film, I was so taken by Rocky that I've watched Rocky 2 this week. Have you? Yeah, I just kind of had to. Um, and it is as good as I remember. It is filled with as many of the same problems that we flagged in the Fine One and War Crime section. The montages are as exciting and as fun and uplifting as you think they would be. And the dialogue is as weird and clunky as we described in Rocky One. So basically, it just like scratched the itch in every single way that it could have possibly done. It was, it was really, really nice watching it back. Really good. You uh, you wanted to do a, a couple of shout outs, did you, ahead of this one? Mike? Oh, yes. Um, just one to Jack G for picking that out, which is really, really lovely. And also one to um, friend of the pod, Billy T, who um, alerted me to the fact that we managed to miss. There was a live screening of there was a like another screening um, for Terminator 2. Just like oh, we, really? you know, we went to go and see Pretty Woman. There was a Terminator 2 one which we missed, which is incredibly frustrating, um, which would have been absolutely amazing to go to. But um, yeah, so thanks, Billy, for sending that one through. Would highly recommend. Like Billy's about as good a follower as you could possibly have if you're a fan of Spurs, um, because he will make you laugh no end. Would that be a fair uh, critique of Billy's Twitter? I, I, I think Billy is somebody who manages to make a joke out of absolutely anything um and i mean i know that being a spurs fan often does that to people but he has a he has a unique ability for i'll tell you another thing he has a unique ability for he is literally like tottenham's equivalent of google you can say to billy mate i am i half remembering like i swear the other day when i was drunk and i was scrolling through like my timeline i saw a video of one of the spurs players doing x y and z and he'll just respond within minutes like here this is the one you're talking about and he'll just know yeah he'll know exactly what it was you're on about and yeah but do you know what i mean because you spend all day sucked into like electronic devices and all this type of thing now yeah yeah talking about x mac in the last week but there where you're like what content have i what did i dream what have i been told what have i read what have I watched? I can't remember anymore. My brain is in 15 million different places nowadays. And we wonder why everyone's so anxious, you know? But, yeah, um, well, and also, like, just the, you, it's only when you go looking for something that you've seen at a flick 
you know what I mean? You've seen it, you've seen like 10 seconds of it and then gone, oh, okay, I'll move on to the next thing. And then you think later on in the day, like six hours later, oh, I must remember to send that thing to that person. You're like, where on earth even was that? You yeah. know, like it could be literally anywhere. And there's no, on all of these platforms, there's no way of searching for anything. So that is a, is an unbelievable skill. Um, should we get on to this week's film? I think we should get on to V for Vendetta, this week's Ooh. film, Ben Hines. Um, oh, how did man. you, let me, let me ask, because you picked it, first of all. When did you last watch it and how did you feel watching it back this time? I think V for Vendetta is one that I do maybe every, I'd say once a year I do a V for Vendetta watch through. Oh, yeah. Once every other year, maybe. It's kind of like one that I'll go back to and just be like, oh, I could watch that just when just enough time has passed for me to forget the little nuances in it and to uh, kind uh, of be pleasantly surprised. A, a, a new little thing I'm going to try and force into BYOB now because I just quite like it, mate, for Ooh, the person who's chosen it. Where does this rank for you in terms of your personal hierarchy of films? Are we talking like... Top you know, 10, this, top 10. This is your top 10? Wow, yeah, okay, top 10. okay, yeah. okay. Because I watched it because of the time that I sort of came across it. So... The film itself um, come, came out in 2005. I don't think I saw it until 2013. Um, so it was at a point in my life where I was probably feeling a little bit sort of like bulky and confident and politically kind of starting to wake up a little bit more. And understanding mm-hmm. the the kind of the nature of where I, I think off the back of coming out of university, starting to understand like where you sit as a person in the hierarchy of life. You know, when you 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 come out of uni and you're super optimistic and you've been you've had your head sort of completely pounded to mush by so many ideas left right center the whole lot at uni because you're surrounded by people that you never really mm. would have met before i think that was one of the biggest things i took away from uni was that you you go to school and you're surrounded by people who all live in the same area probably from similarish backgrounds because uh, and by backgrounds i mean in terms of like geolocation um so you're all from a similar area and then you're going to grow with that group of people for seven years and then you suddenly go to to uni and you're just completely opened up to this whole new community of people from all over the world, from all over the country. And so I remember watching this fairly soon after I finished uni and it just kind of blew my mind a bit. Mm. Um, and I pro- and I think I watched a I watched a a video this week and I think it was titled something like V for Vendetta. Is it deep or is it stupid? And and. <laughs> I think probably at the beginning when I first watched it, I was uh, I was probably missing a lot of the point and it was probably I was probably picking up on some of the more surface level silly stuff. But now rewatching it this week, it it I found it quite scary in a really great way. Like I really it sort of really grabbed me. Um, what about you, mate? Can you remember can you remember where sort of you first came into contact with this? Yeah, I watched this in the cinema. I saw Viva Vendetta nice. in the cinema and yeah, it's a film I've watched many many times over the years it's a film that i have on my i had it first on my dvd shelf now on my blu-ray shelf like it's man i'm that the blu-ray idea is so cool i love that i just i think this i don't know i'm still one of those people it's maybe my age as well i do like having physical media of things that i really like and i really treasure in a way i just think it helps 
I don't know. I find it, it gives me more of a connection with things in that might sound silly to some people, but it's just, you know, how it works for me. Um, but also, and I, I, I didn't always know this. I can't claim to know this. It's only after watching all the promo stuff for Oppenheimer when Christopher Nolan said, you really should still buy Blu-rays. You know, he was going through his Blu-ray. I think he was going through his Blu-ray collection or somebody else's yeah, who had like this with, library of Blu-rays. Um, and he was saying, yeah. he Killian Murphy? Yeah, yeah. And Nolan yeah. was saying he had similar. He likes to have loads of Blu-rays. And the, the, I think it was French, the French kind of guy, uh, the interviewer was like, but why nowadays? Why would you have them? And he's like, because streaming services are great. They're cool, but you don't get the full resolution you don't get the film packaged up in the way that the filmmaker has 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 seen it and like like i like i said previously like since getting my my new i mean i've been buying blu-rays before i got my new tv but i would say since getting my new tv i definitely definitely noticed the difference between streamed films that maybe the ones that aren't in you know um uhd um 4k uhd and uh, the same type of film on on Blu-ray. Um, it's it's really quite remarkable. Um, so, yeah, I'm still up for that. But yeah, V for Vendetta. I yeah, I think it's great, and I I agree with you that I think there's lots in here that you know. I, I think I've, I went on a similar journey with you, mate. You know, big fan of George Orwell. Big fan of you know lots of those type of writers, especially like a lot of the dystopian fiction, Brave New World. Um, so on and so forth. Um, fair I do like being sort of Four freaked out by the dystopian stuff. I quite yeah. like the challenge of it. Can I just ask one more question really quickly mm. on your Blu-ray collection? Um, what's your filing system? Do you know what? It's now at the moment, it's just there on my shelf because... Oh, that's I, so cool. Because that just means people of, can just kind of go and scan. Yeah, just kind of lob them on there and I just... Yeah, I, I, I do. Sometimes I like having things in order, and other times I'm just kind of like, bad, just whack it on there. But the the only sort of filing system I do have is I do have like a few like boxed sets. You know, I've got like the Lord yeah. of the Rings, yeah, yeah. got the Harry Potters, got the, you know, the Back to the Futures, the Aliens, all those sort of ones. I've got those on the shelf, and then the ones underneath are all like the solo individual films and stuff like that. So. Um, um, nice. I, I, I kind of, I, I, I tell a lie. I keep them together grouped by like, if they are in a series or something like that, do you know what I mean? But I don't have them right, overall okay. in any kind of semblance of order or anything like that. It does still annoy me when I go onto like Netflix or Prime or whatever, and I want to watch a film and it's not there. Yeah. And it's not like we should be, it's not like we're entitled to films just being readily available because we pay like 10 quid a month, you know, like that is it's sort of a weird thing that we've, become accustomed to so I, I mean it's quite nice to know that you're like well i want that film and it'll be mine forever i've got to say the, the other thing that's quite nice mate about having blu-rays and dvds and stuff is like you know when you move house or whatever and we i'm pretty sure we've all been in that position when suddenly you're like i don't have the internet for a week fuck you know um yeah having physical yeah, yeah, media yeah. is still is still good in that respect um nice but yeah, I don't right. know. I'm I'm sort of I'm one of those people. I sort of feel like I should just support. You know, I, I'm a lover of film. I want to support the industry as best I can. Um, yeah, so maybe. Whatever you know. Absolutely right. 
Let's get into the film, but first, uh, your turn to have a go at, at spoiling it in 60 seconds. Hopefully you'll do it better than Jack G, <laughs> who just turned into a giggling mess last week. So it's tough. Well done, it's Jack tough. People, people can look and yeah, scoff man. and say until you're, in the, until you're in the hot seat, you know. Right, tough one for you this week, because this is both a graphic novel and loads of political ideas in here. So good luck, mate. Are you ready? Yeah, as ready as I'll ever be. Give me a countdown. Three, two, one, off you go. So, V for Vendetta is a dystopian thriller-superhero movie-political movie set in a future when it was written Britain. I think it's supposed to be actually 2020 it's set, um, where a fascist government has risen up out of the ashes of a pandemic or a virus that has killed many people within Britain, um, apparently the result of a, of a terrorist attack. The story, oh, the story follows a mysterious masked man called V, who seeks to overthrow this government. The film begins with him rescuing a young woman named Evie Hammond from the clutches of the government's foot soldiers. 45. The, uh, the the finger men basically the pair of them together orchestrate a, a plot to overthrow the government as they learn about V's past the intricacies of the t- the totalitarian blah 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 society they discover oh mate it's just too hard it's too hard good effort good effort this week nah, I, 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 I think the the tough thing is you got to try and set it up on this one and awful. um the 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 thing that I sort of found with with this film is that watching it this time around, I think maybe because of COVID, but I actually paid a lot more attention to the how have we got into this situation in the film. Mm. You know the kind of setup that they give you. They don't really give it to you until later on in the film, right? They they sort of give mm. it to you, drip feeding it almost as to how we've arrived in this situation where everyone seems to be panicked about doing anything and they're not allowed to go out after curfew and no one can even kind of begin to talk out loud about anything. And you're like, well, how have we got here? And it was only then when I'm going to forget the name of the character, but you know, the doctor who is kind of keeping, she's the one who's kind of keeping journals. I think she's, her character is played by Delia Surridge, I believe. Um, and he's she's the one that V kills later on and she says, is it too late to apologise? And he says, never. Um, I sort of found, found that really, really fascinating this time around because we've just gone through a pandemic or still kind of in a pandemic. But because we've just gone through that, it really kind of jumped out at me. I was like oh, wow, these kind of like sliding doors things that happen in life can actually be the backdrop to to huge change. And I mean, mm-hmm. I guess a, quite a nice starting point is the fact that there is in this film, even though it was set in the future, th- there is so much of this now that you just sort of almost went down theme by theme and went tick, tick, tick. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, big time. I mean, one of the big ones, and I messaged you about this the second I saw it, was BTN, the news thing on there. And I was like, oh, my God, like, this is GB News. Like, GB News is an almost, like, carbon copy of BTN, of this thing that... what? When when did this movie come out? Uh, 2005. 2005, when even at that time, you were like this is all a bit of a stretch, isn't it? You know, we're not going to have like a TV channel that is going to have this 
kind of like fascist message going out um, on air that spreads hate, spreads division. Okay, we've always had the Daily Mail. We've always had the sun, but in some ways that's felt like, you know, the Daily Mail's felt like, oh, it's just a thing that your sort of bigoted grandma or granddad reads and whatever, it's all manageable. But now with the kind of growth of not just social media, but, you know, what is it? It's like non, I think the expression is non-linear television now. Um, yeah. So television yeah. on demand, um, constant messages, 24-7, it, 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 it's a, it's suddenly a reality. You're suddenly like, like you were saying, how have we suddenly gotten here? How are we suddenly like, how have we suddenly got GB news? That's just there as part of a conversation that's, you know, saying that, you know, that's this championing kind of, you know, I, I want to be careful with my words here because I don't want to say anything that, you know, take anything out of context but championing certain beliefs or ideas that you know refugees are all bad that all immigration is bad that that you know any criticism of britain and its past you know like you say there these words never it's never too late to apologize so when when questions do come around like the renaming of kind of street names and things like that you know when you, there's often names that throw back to colonial past there's lots of names that are, you know, racist, that dehumanise people of colour and stuff like that. Oh, it's just a road name. Get over it. You know, all those type of conversations are completely yeah. thrown out by GB News. And we we have a laugh about this, and I'm guilty of it. We have a laugh about this stuff on Twitter. Ah, Nigel Farage, ha, 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 you know, these gammons on GB News and stuff. But <laughs> then you start to think, well, there's a lot of people watching this. And like we were talking about with Saw films and all that type of thing at the start, we can laugh at these things and we can belittle them and we can look down on them, but there's clearly an there's clearly an audience for it. So maybe we need to start looking at what it is that is creating this, that is making that is drawing people to this, that is meaning there is there is a a, a, a palette for this, should we say? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, and I'm not like look, I'm not gonna. I don't know if we spoke about this on the pod before. I'm not going to compare. The, I'm not saying for a second that someone that might hold kind of a certain political belief is aligned with flat earthers. But have you ever seen the flat earthing documentary on Netflix? Did you watch I, it during COVID? I don't. Like I think I'm pretty sure I purposefully went about ignoring it because it just winds it. me up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I, I can just imagine. I literally can just imagine you with steam coming out of your ears watching it. Like shouting at the TV, spittle. Do you know what I mean flying out my mouth? <laughs> <laughs> turn it off. Turn it off. Yeah. I, I, Throwing just, a can it, at the TV. It, you know what I mean? it is. It is exactly that sort of thing. But there's a moment in it where you see, basically, there's there's this group of people, and they um, they basically sort of try and say, stop me if I've told this one before on the pod because I have a tendency to do that. But yeah, basically, this group of people they're trying to prove that the the Earth is flat. And they want to ignore science and they want to ignore all these more intelligent scientists that are saying, listen, like, look, it's absolutely accurate. That the world is not flat. And they're like, no, well, we'll set up an experiment. And they spend every bit of money that they've got 
on creating a giant laser pen <laughs> that they can then shine from one point on the earth to another. Um, and the problem for them is that they don't realise when they're planning their experiment that light expands as it travels. So they shoot the laser pen from one... <laughs> from one point and by the time that it reaches the target it's about 50 foot wide so they can't, <laughs> so they can't actually tell whether the earth is earth is flat or well, but round that's, how but perfect the, the, is that how perfect an encapsulation is that you know yeah i mean that's it in a nutshell right is that you kind of get into this place where people are so desperate to i i think this is one of the natural things that comes with Partly it's like society we've got at the moment, but also kind of the society that's described in the film, right? Is that when it gets to a point where people are like, well, just why aren't I doing well anymore? Like, what, there, there's got to be something going on that I must know best. There must be the secret that I've got the answer to. It can't, it can't be that it's my fault. It must be that something else is happening around me that means that I've got to kind of like... I've got to sort of wrestle back some sort of control into my life. And th that was the, the striking thing about the the inclusion of the, the, the sort of the news scenes in that the news anchor, and I sort of forgot his name um, already. Lewis Prothero. Prothero, that's it. He's looking directly down the lens. And he's and he is sort of almost shouting at the audience and, and provoking them and getting them to kind of consent to his really quite grim and grubby beliefs but it just kind of happens in the film right it's just kind of like these these kind of constant things is just one by one they're just kind of slipping into the film and no one's really doing anything to stop them and you look at things like the the, the rise of the different bits of media that we've got like gb news that are allowed to have news in their title even though they're not recognised as a news station or a news channel. They call themselves GB News. And suddenly it just becomes a part of consciousness. Do you know, do you know what I mean? It just becomes a part of the mainstream. It just becomes a part of the discussion. And they're not held to the same standards as any other news channel. And then you just find yourself where these voices just appear. You know, mm. no one's vetting anything. No one's sense checking anything. It's just sort of happening um and that was like the, it was one of the first things i thought when watching this i was just like wow this is kind of like for a film made in 2005 18 years later this is just so on the nose do you think the film like if we if we're looking at the the film itself and not what it's just kind of you know the message it's trying to convey do you think the film without requiring extra kind of reading or extra consideration from the audience did enough of a job outlining the roadmap of how everything went from say disaster chaos the war in america that we kind of hear nebulously spoken about within the film mm. to suddenly this fascist dictatorship so the did way you see that enough I on screen is what i mean like yeah so the way that i kind of read it or the way that i took it was that it was a statement on the fragility of society. That mm -hmm. It doesn't take much. That it doesn't take much for things to kind of just flicker from a bit of a problem to oh my word, like we're all out sort of chaos. We're not. Again, I don't want to use the word chaos in the sense that it aligns with anarchy because they're obviously 
well, I, I think they're two very different things, but um, but it, it it doesn't take much to kind of turn from, oh, this could be a problem into there's the whole of the, the world's on fire. And I think that was, there was a line, wasn't there, um, that the detective says, someone mm. will do something silly. Mm. Or, or, or I think he alludes to it with something like that. Um, someone will do something silly and then it will all kind of, kick off Eric uh, I think it's Eric Finch is the name of the character um and someone does something silly and then suddenly you go from six to midnight <laughs> it all just completely kicks off um what about you did you think it was missing a little bit there P- potentially potentially um that it just it I think maybe it's this is one of those interesting things I think that the first sort of few times of watching this prior to, you know, based probably like this time. I don't know when I last watched this. I think I've maybe watched this two or three years ago. This might have been one of mine that I watched during lockdown, I think. Um, and I think that I always found it quite hard to see how Britain could go from being kind of, yeah, all right, okay, Tory in its outlook and maybe, you know, just not just as a political side, but just a conservative country where certain things might slide um, to being like outright kind of fascists, how people might get behind that. And I, I know history should say, well, you know, look at, look at Germany in the 19, you know, in the 1920s and for, for, for your size of how these things grow and rise. But having never seen it like with my own eyes, I think I sort of found it quite hard with the film. Um, but the funny thing is now, having lived through, and I, I, I can't be bothered to start any culture wars or anything like that. But I would say through, I would say in my lifetime now, and my recent lifetime, really, we're talking past probably five years or so, seeing the rise of certain political figures, political ideologies, um, political movements, how the touch paper has been lit somewhat that you fully appreciate and like you said to throw back to what you were saying how you worry about watching something like Viva Vendetta now because it isn't just suddenly some fantasy you know it isn't just something that happened in Germany in the 1920s like I say you can see in front of your very eyes now how ideas ways of thinking and I'll be specific on that dehumanizing other people making other people the enemy can catch on and in in the way that you know having like you know i've grown up through the and i'm the sort of person that people parody you know i've grown up in the in the throughout the 90s and the noughties when you know we had a labor government we've had kind of pretty much you know liberal parties both sides of the atlantic like the clintons you got this and i know there's problems with people you know i I don't want to get fully into this because i know i know i'm acutely aware of the issues with the blair administration and these type of things just talking about in the in the say the the home affairs sense of things it was a, a a liberal government and it felt that you know actually suddenly you know britain okay you've got your racist grandma and racist granddad but now suddenly we are this kind of like liberal country we are going more like the scandinavians are we suddenly have this you know forward thinking outlook on everything that we're we're suddenly leaving all this stuff behind and 
it it has suddenly felt and it's been a real rude awakening for a lot of people um especially people of like my age group that nope there is still this lingering kind of hatred not just in britain maybe it is in britain but in people in europe i think it's a universal thing i think amongst all peoples there is the there is perhaps the ability within us i mean there's definitely the ability within us to hate but the ability within us to forego things that we think are right or wrong to allow ourselves to be whipped up into these frenzies to to maybe go against our own rational minds and say okay well everyone else is is thinking you know this thing's an issue so we should all go along with it like as like i was saying in the film review at the start and talk to me when you talk about young people kind of not giving each other a break i think we we can all get swept up swept up into this way of thinking right and i guess like back to v for vendetta it did make it all the more harrowing for me this time watching it but i still probably think that a lot of that again is just through because i've had my own experience now of seeing how these ideas and these ways of thinking can warp people's minds and and give give rise and birth out a potentially fascist society you know yeah and it, and i think the other thing is is that we sort of we see within this people just want a simple answer they want a simple answer to an mm. unbelievably complex series of issues and it's the, the same society everyone people want three word slogans you know that that you take something like stop the boats being the slogan at the moment as if that is the answer to the problem that, that is takes unbelievable amounts of unpacking to try and understand like where the problem stems what the issues are how you can like try and unfurl that people don't want that people don't want to sit there and go okay show me context like talk or, me through it help yeah. me to understand like help me to kind of go back or and even even beyond that people don't want to take any responsibility or blame you know that there might be some what, sort of what was the other one mate? was it three 350 million or 3.5 billion for the nhs and that's just suddenly, million a week for the yeah, nhs 350 million a week for the nhs oh well they're the goodies then that's fine no more thought. Maybe. Yeah, exactly. I, I, and I think that's the thing, right? That's what, one of the things that this film really, really kind of makes clear. He he has, there's a there's an amazing speech that he kind of, it's when he's taken over the TV station and he says, where well, you once had the freedom to object, to think as you saw fit, you now have sensors and systems of surveillance coercing your conformity and soliciting your submissions. And then he says something to the effect of, I don't blame you because you sort of thought it was the right thing at the time. But it, it, it is this kind of, um, this idea that if you consent to something like and, and don't stop it and don't kind of say like, oh no, I don't actually agree with that, you kind of get into this um, you get into this space where it's it can be a very slippery sliding sort of un, uncomfortable slope that you're on. And I sort of wrote down the kind of that Martin Niemöller um, poem, you know, the sort of the first they came for and then they came for me and there was no one left to sort of talk out for me. And I thought one of the thing that one of the things that this um, the, the V for Vendetta does is when it shows you all of the people that are being taken into the the the, the testing centre, um, it really, really it hits you like a sledgehammer that it was people of colour and it's gay people and it's people that have been 
demonized by certain areas of society, media, etc. over the course of the last 20 years. Um, and that's why it sort of shook me. It shook me because I was sat there and I was like, oh, this is really uncomfortable that the kind of the the lead character, we don't actually know because V is obviously covered by a mask, but the lead character essentially has come from one of these places where, um, or one of these um, specific groups that have been targeted by a fascist kind of government. Um, and yet at the same time, we're having conversations day to day that, worryingly sort of put stick hairs up on the back of your neck you know they do yeah uh, i mean it's interesting because I've, I've gone down like i went down a rabbit hole on this because i was quite interested to know like you know it's supposed to be something in like you know the fact that v and ev's relationship is, is seemingly very platonic that when there is say a kiss later on in the film he you know pulls away and Says he can't. You know, he's like, is it? You know, is he? Is he gay? Is he not? Or do you know what I mean? And I think really yeah, that's yeah. that's that's beside the point, though. Really, and I think the mask is is perfect for this. The fact that everybody at the end is wearing his mask is, you know, he is he's 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 a personification of of a metaphor, a metaphor for all people. Right? He could belong yeah. to any of those marginalized groups. The point isn't for we're supposed to dial down and look for breadcrumbs within the film. Oh, what is it? You know, does he have an Islamic prayer mat in this shot? Does he have, do you know what I mean? Because you, you look on Reddit, there's all these various different little Theory, things yeah. that people have devised and stuff. But really the point surely is that he could be any of those things. And he has a mask. We don't see him because he, at the end of the movie, and I don't want to jump too far ahead, but it's that whole kind of we as us thing, right? Like, Every, every, everybody is 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 joined by a, a collective vision that you know governments people shouldn't be afraid of their government governments should be afraid of their people yeah. and you see the strength of the mob is all in the in the image of one man but that man isn't isn't even a person really we don't know anything about him other than that he's gone through this horrible ordeal in this concentration camp where he's been experimented upon and subsequently has developed a sort of borderline kind of superhuman power um, out of the back of this, which is unfortunate for the people that did that to him, as we see. But he is he is the embodiment of an idea. He's the embodiment of resistance. And that is obviously shown in the form of Guy Fawkes, right? Yeah, and that you we we also get you're so right on the point around that kind of he s sort of says that he i don't know how he describes it i think he says he fell in love with evie um and it might potentially be a mistake that she kind of almost falls in love falls into a certain type of love with him and that she you don't know whether she's trying to kiss him or or there's something to that but that for me was a reflection when he says I f sort of fell in love with you. It was a reflection of the same sentiment that was shared with him by Valerie who passed the message through the wall. Mm. Um, when she says that even though I don't know you and I might never meet you, laugh with you, cry with you or kiss you, I love you with all of my heart. That was That is what we see at the end, right? It's this idea that 
She doesn't need to know him. She doesn't need to see him. And equally, Evie doesn't need to see what's behind the mask. He sort of even says it himself. He's like, behind the mask, there's an idea, an idea that's bulletproof. And that is the kind of, that's the kind of core message of the, the film is that we don't actually even see this character. I mean, it, it, it was really cool knowing that it was Hugo Weaving because I love Hugo Weaving. But it could, and I mean, his voice is incredible, right? You, the fact that you never see a, a single facial expression and yet he's able to convey so much with his voice is is phenomenal. But it could really be anyone. I mean, it couldn't because Hugo Weaving is the goat. Um, but <laughs> he's it, brilliant, but isn't it, he? But in theory, it could be anyone. Do you know what I mean? It could be, it could, the importance is that that, what that character represents Mm. um, as opposed to needing to be someone that you can align with. And that's why it's so crucial, I think, that his character doesn't get involved romantically at all throughout throughout the film. And even when he sort of says to her that he loves her, I very much read that as, he loves humanity. He loves the idea of liberty and, and freedom, not necessarily her individually, but she just was basically her coming in made him realise there wasn't, he could go one step further. He could manage to make it happen. And I also thought it was really crucial. I know we're going to come on to talk about this at the end, but um, I also thought it was really crucial that he gave her the decision. He goes off to kind of meet his maker and then he gives her the decision whether to proceed with it or not, which I thought was was really fascinating. Um, one thing on the character of of V, now he sort of opens this door for us, which is quite interesting, where he basically kind of says, like, violence is okay if you're in times of revolution, um, and that he he was he killed some people he was going to kill more people um and that every action just creates an equal reaction and that's kind of as far as it goes for him what did you make of that well it's going to be it's you know it's one of those debates that rages on doesn't it when we talk about protests we're talking about direct action there's always going to be a ripple effect i mean if we take it to say even a non-violent form of direct action we look at somebody like Greenpeace who over the years, you know, in the Rainbow Warrior have managed to, you know, work their way onto oil tankers, onto oil rigs and, you know, being abused, being some places killed um, for doing what they're doing. We're now seeing at the moment with Just Stop Oil, right? Sitting in roads, blocking traffic. The, The narrative is always going to be, well, they're in the wrong because what if an ambulance needs to get past? They're all just doing it for social media. It, there's a real kind of, there's a mischaracterization of the people who are involved in this. I mean, mischaracterization may not be right. I don't know the motives of every single individual in Just Stop Oil. But again, what I do know is the overriding message of them, which is pretty simple. Like you say, Just Stop Oil, which is about preserving the planet, about preserving our future. And yet we still look for ways to, to turn on them. Um, now one might argue that what is it that they're actually achieving though? You know, what, what have they achieved so far? Does that direct action work? Um, has it, has it led to any change in government policy? Has it led to any change in environmental policy on an international basis? Um, I don't know. I don't think so. Cause I think we would have heard more about it if it had, 
Um, so, you know, who knows? We look at, okay, a, a, say a, a, an example of violent direct action from the past few years, which is, I think it's within my lifetime, but I don't remember it. It might be slightly before my lifetime. Is the poll tax riots. Um, when, I think it was when Thatcher's government first tried to introduce essentially what the idea of council i mean they repackaged the poll tax up into council tax right where there was a kind of means tested extra level of tax that we're going to put onto everybody and for the first time since i think a very long time i'm talking hundreds of years people took to the streets and they rioted and the government reversed the decision it's the first time they've done that in i think like i say in hundreds of years um it might change it might be something like since the the fucking English revolution, you know? Um, so there's, there's, there's every chance to say that it does. I mean, moralistically, we get back to some of the arguments we were having or discussions, I should say, at least we were having on the Ex Machina podcast, right? The whole, what do you let kind of one old person die instead of 10 young people or whatever? I think it was 10 old people versus 10 young people. What's the right kind of way to do it? And it's not a clean, it's not the cleanest comparison, but if we are, say, talking about, you know, attacking, you've got to be careful with what you say in these kind of things because you can't be seen to be like inciting violence on anybody or saying that anybody is deserving of violence. But I think we all know, like, that a lot of the time violence makes a message at least it it gets it gets a message across it makes people realize that people have principles that they are willing to fight and kill and die for and when the powers that be see that there are people who have these kind of ideas they realize that there isn't any way to obfuscate kind of any of these messages Especially, I mean, look, here's, here's a prime example. It throws back to sort of the first thing we were talking about, about how FIFA Vendetta compares to a modern day society. We're currently stuck in this sort of doom cycle at the moment where anything and everything, and yeah, Just just Stop Oil is a thing. I'm not, you know, pinning my colours to the mast of Just Stop Oil. I, th- I really do appreciate a lot of their message. Yeah, I, w- I will say that. But at the same time, you know, I, I'm, I'm not saying I, I fully agree with everything I, I haven't read any manifestos of theirs or you know i don't know any of them individually so i can't attest for what they're like as people but the, the thing is with this kind of gb news n- news cycle the non-linear television social media social media that is open to being twisted like we've talk- spoken about before cambridge analytica there's an example of how this is done it's hard to have any kind of cohesive or or coherent message that people can rally behind nowadays because it will so often be just twisted or deformed or mischaracterized. And there's 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 one there's one example of this that I would I would I would highlight a way in which say the 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 tools of media the tools of social media. The tools of government have been used to really kind of dent an area of criticism and to dent a message um, in a very sneaky. And I, uh, some people will still even, and this is all part of it, right? You get these kind of ad hominem attacks where people will say, oh, you're just paranoid. You're just kind of tinfoil hat. You're crazy or whatever. 
But when Boris Johnson was coming under a lot of fire for his actions during COVID, and in the lead up to that, there was a lot of talk. One of the other talking points was obviously about the bus, the message on the side of the bus. Boris Johnson in an interview where he was trying to put like a bit of a happier face and stuff. I think this was after COVID when he ran to be prime minister again. And there were certain questions lingering around him. And it felt like almost like, okay, let's keep the narrative on COVID and let's try and forget everything pre-COVID. And the way in which they almost cleansed the news cycle of the bus was in a random throwaway interview once when they were talking about how Boris Johnson coped throughout COVID. He said... I make little model buses to help me relax. And hence, all of Google's news cycle, Google's searches, everything, when you typed in Boris Johnson bus, even to this day, is filled up with Boris Johnson builds little buses. And the mention of the pledge that he slapped on the side of a big red bus is pushed right to the bottom of the conversation again. And it all, it, like, it makes the, the hairs stand up on the back of your neck that a message can be so twisted in this way that it makes you think, what about when it's you in the firing line? What about when it's you that if this, you know, I had this happen on this the other day. I just said that, I literally just said, Barbie's a film that anyone can enjoy. I actually don't think it's a man-hating film. I just think it's a film that's showing you how a lot of these kind of things like the patriarchy actually hurt men as much as they hurt women, if not more. And you see the comments are probably full, largely with bots, I reckon, saying, look at this cuck, this guy thinks blah, 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 this has happened, this has happened. Any idea, any sort of dissenting voice away from certain narratives, certain conversations, and it's not just the right wing that do this, the left wing do this as well. Like, a lot of people from all walks, and centrists do it as well, everybody does this. When there's certain like voices or certain things that don't fit with accepted narratives or accepted streams of consciousness, these frenzies are created. Things are whipped up. And okay, me, all right, I get it. The the straight white guy who does a film podcast, oh, boo-hoo, you had some people call you a cuck because you said you liked the Barbie film. I completely understand. I'm not, do you know what I mean? I understand here. There are people who you just have to look at some of the stuff that, you know, footballers like Marcus Rashford or Ivan Tony share on their social media stories from DMs and stuff they've received. I understand there are, there are people who get far worse abuse on social media than I do. But I'm just making the point that anybody can be within the crosshairs if you say things that don't fit the script, right? Yeah, well, this is the... Uh, I'll give you a good example of this because you sort of just stirred my memory there a little bit. Um, I remember when I was at... A university I did a uh, at the end of uni I did a year um, as a student officer so basically you get elected to go and do a year where you help with the day-to-day -day running of your student union and most people think of a student union as, as basically just a, a glorified bar but it's, okay. it's actually got like a lot more to it than that it's it, you provide services to students that maybe need counseling or you provide services to students in terms of kind of like if they need education educational support you help student surround student politics you get involved in the local community and one of the things that popped up with us was that 
you get involved with the National Union of, of Students. And it was at the time when the government chose to triple tuition fees. And so tuition fees were going to go from £3,000 to £9,000 pretty much overnight. And so there was this, I don't know, do you remember this? There was a huge student protest in London. Huge, like I do, yeah. Hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, and, and so we put it to our students at the uni that I was at and said, look, do you want to be a part of this? Is this something that you want? They sort of voted fairly unanimously to say, yes, they wanted to protest about tuition fees rising. Um, and so we put on, in line with the National Union of Students, we put on these buses to take people into town and, and to go and join the march. Just peaceful protests and just people marching by Westminster. There's a lot of people there. Um, and all it took was one person or a group, a small group of people to open at the end of where this kind of protest was. And they started leading people in a direction that wasn't actually on the prearranged route. And everyone just kind of followed, right? Because they were just like, oh, we're, we're just still moving along. This must be the way that we're going. And they were led down to Whitehall. And then suddenly this kind of group of, of sort of activist students that maybe weren't part of the NUS thing ran inside and started smashing the place up. Um, and then I think what happened was that someone threw a fire extinguisher off the roof. Do you remember that? Vaguely. Uh, this so, is sort of vaguely ringing a bell, but yeah, I'm not as... And know. long story short, all that was reported the next day was about someone threw a fire extinguisher off the roof and risked killing people and they'd been arrested and that a group of five to ten people had gone inside a Whitehall, I think it was called Whitehall Place or whatever, the building, and sort of smashed the place up and had been arrested for trespassing and... and um, and for like damage or whatever they'd, they'd, they'd caused. That was all that was talked about the next day. And that was kind of like my first experience of, but there was like 200,000 people here all saying like, you're about to make students absolutely bankrupt. Like you're going to price people out of being able to get an education. And, and it, it, it sort of, it was really fascinating watching it firsthand. And I think to just bring it back to the film, that is why when you talk about things like Just Stop Oil, you can see at the moment Just Stop Oil is is a is a series of micro protests. It's a series of of, of groups of people that kind of will go and sit in front of the road, and and it will it will wind people up. And there's there's it's fractious, right? You see some people getting really agitated and really upset and, and annoyed with each other, and it hasn't reached that tipping point where everyone goes, oh, like we're all in in on this mm. one. And that's why I think the scene in V for Vendetta where he flicks the domino and then everyone thinks you go and sort of like falls into place. I think that's why this this film is so powerful because it shows you that all of the pieces of the jigsaw have to be perfectly in place before there can be that kind of sort of overture style um, experience where everyone takes to the streets and everyone says, right, okay, we don't want this anymore. We're going to change it. And I think equally to come back to the point I made earlier on, that's why it's so crucial that Evie is the one that sets the train moving and the detective doesn't stop her because that's quite symbolic, right? Is that V is meant to be the first domino and then he flicks over into two other people and they don't stop 
the momentum. They keep the momentum going. What um, did you take? And I, I, and I, I thought I, that I, was... So go on. I just wanted to ask, what did you take? Because you were talking about the domino scene. What did you take from the being one domino that didn't fall that he picks up at the end? Well, that that for me was the was the ending. That for me was that kind of I don't know what did you have a theory on that? I just wondered if it was him. I wondered if it was like he, that was his place in it all, and he knew that he needed to go to to kick it all off. You know, he needed to be the one that, that that starts it. See, I wondered whether that was a point around. I wondered whether that was a point to do with the ending. I wonder whether that, like, because the thing is, right, and I, like, maybe we can just kind of, like, skip on and we'll do, like, we'll we'll fire backwards and forwards on this one. But at the ending of the film, right, we see everyone take to the streets. And what the film doesn't do is it doesn't tell you what is going to happen next, right? So they've brought down Nord, North Fire, was it? Is that the name of the, the kind like of that. government or the, yeah, the, I can't the regime? Remember. It's, it's, it's not and, really spoken, said that many times, is it? Yeah, it's, it, I, I, th- I think it was Norse fire. Um, yeah, Norse fire. They bring them down, but then what comes next, right? I, I, and I think that was kind of fascinating because it was I'd, I'd never really thought about it before until I watched it this time around um, because you then start to look into, okay, so you, you, you bring the government down and maybe anarchy kind of ensues or maybe someone else steps in or or what kind of happens you just know that you've reached this point and maybe this is a good time to kind of bring this up um can i have permission to do a tiny philosophy bit here oh, please do Be- mate because I, I i'm very aware that i can go very tangential with this and kind of lead people off into all kinds of and sometimes people probably just thinking this is just too much mate just shut up but um if you'll forgive me this tiny bit this i did it, uh, one of my major projects that i did at uni was on um uh this thing called leviathan which was by thomas hobbes and he has this argument that human beings um exist in a state of nature and that if no one interfered with human beings like if we just kind of left people as they were that then their number one thing would solely be to survive. Like the only thing that human beings would be worried about was survival. Just how do I make sure that it's not me, that when I sort of like go to sleep, it's not going to be me that gets bludgeoned by someone who then steals all my stuff. Um, He just says that basically, number one, self-serve and make sure that you do not, like fear of death is basically the, the driver. And then he kind of says that, curiosity and religion and the emergence of language and science basically meant that people went from being in this kind of state of nature to understanding that we can make like a social contract with each other. So we can basically say to each other, listen, I'm not going to kill you. You don't kill me. And then it's preferential for everybody. And then we're all, we're all kind of safe. And then essentially he says, well, if we do that and then we centralize some sort of kind of, state that basically says we'll create the rules of engagement and if anyone falls outside of that then we'll punish them and we'll make sure that they are like stopped from acting in a way that might threaten your safety and might threaten the social contract that we've made with each other then we're kind of then finally we'll reach a place where everyone can thrive now what this film does is that it 
really starts poking holes in that argument, right? Because it sounds on paper like, yeah, we all we, we all want to be in a place where we want to feel safe and we all want to be in a place where all of us can kind of go and live our lives without fear of anything awful happening to us. But the question that I think the film is asking is what happens when that that kind of leader, commonwealth or um, government, whatever it is, takes it too far what happens when we make them the judge jury and executioner and the only people that have any sort of control is there a tipping point when people say well actually my belief system and my ability to think freely and have freedom to act in the way that i want trumps my want for safety you know like Mm. there's a line where she says he says, if you if you just rat out on these people, then you can go free. And she said, no, I'd rather you take me out the back and shoot me. And he goes, well, then now you're free. And that is the kind of embodiment of someone saying, actually, my belief system is more important than the idea of just surviving. Um, and that was kind of that for me was that this really fascinating point because it was like, oh, OK, we're now kind of like really digging in deep on what is the kind of key drivers of, of people and what has to happen in order to push people to that point where they'll say, actually, enough is enough. And I just it's more important to me that I am myself and I'm live in a way that I truly believe in than just sleepwalking through my life. I don't know whether you had that while you were watching through. Well, I was just intrigued to know because with that in mind, and this is one thing that did not confuse me, I just found quite interesting, is how Evie, she's almost had her ego destroyed, like you say, when she is subjected to the torture that V was, other than with the, you know, the chemicals and such put into him. She comes out this kind of, you know, reshaped, reformed a new person with a belief, with a, you know, bought into the ideology and everything that this government needs to be stopped, that it is a it is an evil over the top of us. But as soon as she finds out that it was V that did it to her, she reverted back to almost the the emotional brain, the individual brain. How could you do yeah. that to me? Yeah. Why did you do that to me? And she runs off and doesn't want to speak to him again. She sees him as some type of a monster. She literally calls him a monster. Did you find that interesting? How? how yeah, I mean, was, is that a nod to, I'm just thinking, this isn't something I've preformed. This is something I'm just saying as I say it. Is it almost showing you how quickly our perspective can change as human beings or emotional beings or? Absolutely. And I'm so glad you picked up on that because there's this other thing within that discussion called the, the veil of ignorance. Um, which basically means that if, if someone put like four sort of curtains around you so you couldn't see out and they said, listen, like the world outside you no longer makes sense anymore. Let's just say you everything around you has completely changed. You have no idea. You can't see out and you can't tell what's going on. Would you take a risk? And let's just say there's a there's a. 50% chance, actually, let's make this a little bit easier. So there's a there's a 90% chance that when you go back outside, we'll remove this veil that's around you. There's a 90% chance that when you go back outside, that the world will be an absolute disaster for you. And there's a 10% chance that everything will be absolutely amazing for you. Or 
you can take option two, which is to say that everything will just be very mediocre and mundane. You won't be in any danger, but you won't be doing well either. You just will kind of exist. Most people would be like, well, I don't want to take the 90% chance of being in absolute peril. So I'll just have this kind of average existence. And what we see within the film is that he then pushes her to the point where she's like, do you know what? This is kind of like, I don't care about any of it anymore. You know, I don't care about it. Like, screw it. Screw the percentages. I'll just kind of go out there and, and, and like, I'm going to... He broke her down systematically to the point where she, all that was left was, like, the purest version of her. And then as soon as that veil was removed again and she was given all of the kind of sensory stuff back and her own ego back, she then fell straight back into... I can't believe you've done this to me, blah, blah, blah. Which is why why that was the, I love that scene where he goes as a roof will take you to the will take you to the the roof and you can get some fresh air. And then it starts raining and, and she says that line, God is in the rain. I just love that scene so much. Because it what is did, the what perfect, did you take from God is in the rain? Well, that for me, that was like this idea that the, the, it's the the realization of there is something bigger than you and it doesn't necessarily have to be a religious thing. It doesn't have to be like the, the the literal version of God that people think about in, I don't know, Christianity, for example, is in the rain. It's it's about the idea that like nature is bigger than humanity and that we're right. we're all just kind of passing through, you Things know. Things that we can't control. Exactly. You're you are you are she sort of stands there and the rain is pouring down on her and then you see this kind of um, flashback to V standing in a burning building and and or the building sort of burnt to the ground and and the rain pouring down on on him as well and you realize that he's having the same kind of realization that we're all kind of like everything's transient like we're all just custodians at this at this point in in time and this these constructs that Evie has submitted to in her kind of existence, right? So the the news channel, Norse Fire, the do they call them the f- finger men? Is it or something yeah, like the that? Men. Yeah. Um, all of those things are just constructs. They don't actually don't actually exist. And V has kind of taken her into this place where he's just obliterated all of it, and she's just stood there and having this realization that she just is this tiny speck in and amongst the the world kind of existing around her. I loved it, mate. I, I, that is honestly one of my favorite bits of music in any film ever. I just think it's so, uh, it's such a powerful kind of image. Brilliant. I used to have yeah. that image just kind of printed off. I used to love it. It's just sort of her with the rain just absolutely pouring down and just that, that, that quote, God is in the rain. I just think it's amazing. It's quite, I, I do wonder as well. I, I, I don't think it is, but it's, it's just quite interesting to me because you know there's a, there's a film trope, Deus Ex Machina, which means like, like, I think it's like God is in the machine or something like that, the God machine yeah. or something like that, which is essentially a way of like, you know, when somebody's writing a script and they're like, okay, I've got plot point A, plot point B, and they're two sort of neatly fitting stories, but I can't really get from one to the other. They'll often just kind of throw in something, like just a thing, an issue or something that will just be like, and that happened for that reason because, 
you know? And yeah, I can't remember yeah, who yeah. was who was it we were talking Was it Nolan or Ridley Scott or somebody when an interviewer was really kind of badgering him on like one of these minute details in one of his films? And he said, it's because it's a fucking movie or something. Who was it? Was it James Cameron? You, I think it was you that was sharing the story. Uh, yeah, but- no, yeah, it might have been James Cameron, actually. Yeah. Yeah, so and I was just wondering in this because, you know, obviously you've got Evie who wants to run away from V, who hates him, wants nothing to do with him, his monstrous message after he spent all that time trying to win her round, show her there's something bigger than her, bigger than him, bigger going on at play. And like you say, the veil of ignorance is lifted and she's like, fuck you, you monster. I'm going to run off back to my kind of nine to five job as a producer for this Gamma News Network kind of thing. But then he takes her outside and she suddenly is like, oh, wow, actually, I get it. This is all much bigger yeah. than all of us. I just thought it's quite an interesting, funny little thing that they say, like, yeah. God is in the rain. God is in the machine. Yeah. It, and you know, it almost I, I kind of... I think she alluded to it as well. I think yeah. she said it. I think she had said it. I think maybe her auntie had said it or maybe it had been in one of the letters. It was in the letter, yeah, the from the... What's from her name? Valerie. The Rose. Yeah, Valerie. Yeah, who sort of says my auntie used to say... I was about to call her the Rose Lady. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. Um, Whilst we mentioned the the news channel, I wanted to pick your brains on Stephen Fry's character. How much did you enjoy his performance? And like, what did you kind of make of his... Because I thought that was very, very pointed, the inclusion of him doing a comedy sketch. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, I took it as... I mean, that he was, again, if you're talking about this in this Leviathan way, he was somebody that was surviving. You know, he was a closeted homosexual. He knew exactly what, you know, life would be like for him were he to come out or anything. But he just stood for survival. He actively, you know, propped up this government. He put a, a smiling, friendly face on it. He was obviously some sort of Jonathan Ross... Graham Norton, that Jay is a, Leno. That's such a good comparison because it's exactly what I thought as well. Yeah, he's Jonathan just Ross-esque, wasn't he? Yeah, the smiling face of the establishment. Ha 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 ha! It's all good because you've got funny TV on. And when he really realizes that he's been a part of all of this, his final act is to say, "Actually, you know what? This platform they've given me, this thing, fuck them." You know, I'm going to I'm going to do what I can do and probably knew how it was going to end up for him, even though he was saying to his agent, oh, well, what are they going to do? You know, they're not going to do anything. He probably knew that was a risk, but he went for it anyway. Um, So I guess it was showing again. It was it was another thing for Evie, because Evie at first wasn't quite in the place where she was willing to buy into what V was doing. She was still within the veil of ignorance. Right. And I think when that is it, Lewis. Who was it that? Who was it? What's his name? Is it John? his name Dietrich? Is that right? Or no? Yeah. And her her colleague calls him Big Daddy Dietrich, doesn't she? When she thinks that Evie right, is bigger. having some sort of sexual dalliance with him. Um, dalliance. What great words. Yeah. <laughs> but they. I think that's the first time when she's like, "Oh wow!" Even he's taking a bullet here. No. He's no one's you know, safe. No, no yeah. one's safe, but also why it, it suddenly made her think, why has he done that? Why would he do that? He's this guy, I've gone to him for safety and he's again put everyone in danger because he's gone and spoken out against his government. Why is he doing it? I've just run away from V who's desperately trying to bring down this government. You know, I don't want somebody else to do it. And she's starting to notice that 
maybe there's more to 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 all of this to everything that's going on you know maybe the time has come things are changing it's not just going to be another one of these stories that they sweep under the rug she knew she saw with her very own eyes v blow up the old bailey in the first scene of the film and yet she still just sat there and nodded along with the story that was going out which was that they demolished the old bailey and put on a firework display for everybody as they did it you know she was denying yeah, her was, own reality. That was like, and and that was kind of, that's why I think that character is so crucial, right? Because I think comedy and comedy and journalism, I think they kind of go hand in hand in a really strange way. I think they're kind of, they're almost slightly estranged siblings in some sense because you need like journalism we've seen what can happen when journalists don't do their job like they stop challenging things and stop going after things and we've seen incredible examples over the year of what happens when journalists do do their job and really try and get to the heart and i'm talking about genuine investigative journalism as opposed to some of the examples of journalism that have probably been that I, I know have been incredibly problematic for so many people over the years like the the versions of sort of tittle tattle that can lead to the most damaging and and horrible experiences for people um but investigative journalism is so crucial when you watch this film you see that everyone has reached the point where they're it's impossible for them to um, to say anything anymore their their ability to speak out or their ability to hold powerful people to some kind of um to actually kind of hold them to account has become next to zero but also the ability to laugh at those people has gone to zero as well um so i've it made me realize again just and and i've heard rowan atkinson speak about this a lot um, and he gives there's an amazing speech that he gave around the importance of comedy and the importance of being able to laugh at people and the importance of being able to take the piss a bit is such a fundamental and crucial part of of media. Um, and it made me realise it just kind of it made me double down in my mind when I was watching it. It's, it's so important that we maintain the ability to laugh at people. Like I'm, I'm a big have I got news. For you, fan. I don't know if you mm. in, like whether you like it. Um, oh, yeah. But I think someone One like of the best theme tunes going, mate. Oh, amazing, isn't it? So good, and the fact they keep going to 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 this day. But the fact also that Paul Merton and Ian Hislop, it doesn't matter who's in charge, and it doesn't matter who is kind of in the news. They are going to rip the piss no matter what, and it might just seem to some people watching on on a Friday night on, on BBC One or whatever, that it's like, oh, this is just light entertainment. But I actually think it's so much more. I think it's such a, a crucial and important part of life that you have the ability to mock and rip the piss and have a laugh at the expense of the people that are in power. Because once you stop having that, that's when it gets really scary. And the same for journalism. Like I think it's so crucial that you have the ability to call things out when you see it and actually do genuine reporting, genuine like 
serious, deep-rooted investigative journalism without sort of fear or favour and, and have the ability to to properly look into something. Um, because once you lose that ability or once that uh, a, a kind of fascist regime, sh- regime shuts that down, like they do in the film, people lose all sense of power and they've got no, they, they have no way of, of doing anything at all. And it, this was a really, really incredible inclusion. Um, and I think it was Alan Moore who, who included it in the, in the graphic novel before it was, it was in the film. I think he, he specifically spoke about this. He wanted all of the people who were in power. He wanted there to be a spectrum. He wanted some of them to be outright arseholes and some of them are kind of absolutely horrendous. So John, John Hurt's character um, is, is absolutely awful. And then the character Creedy is horrendous as well. But some of the other people are not, that he sort of made it so that there were shades of grey. You could like the detectives, well, right? Well the, well, the funny thing is, Alan Moore, so Alan Moore, who wrote the the graphic novel, he you know wanted no part whatsoever to do with um, to do with the the movie. He didn't like the script that the Wachowskis had come up with because um, he felt it did change fundamental things. And the funny thing is, like you say there, though, um, what's his name, Chancellor? What's his name? The main guy, the the president, or whatever he is. Adam um, Susan, it says here. Was that his name? No, whoever John Hurt played... Uh, is it John? It is John Hurt, isn't it? Yeah, John Hurt, yeah. John Hurt. Um, Chancellor... I can't remember. Whatever he's called, but... Oh, the Sutler. Prime, Sutler, that's what it was. That's it. Chancellor Sutler. Well, actually, in the, in the graphic novel, actually, but in the graphic novel, he was... Alan Moore's whole basis for for V for Vendetta was it was written in the 80s. It was written in the height of the Thatcher administration. And he was starting to notice that the cult that had built around Margaret Thatcher, around that Conservative Party who seemingly just had now unending, unlimited power, that they were going to be in government forever, that they had created this machine that was you know, almost unbreakable. And to be honest, <laughs> you know, what we've had one Labour administration, two, well, you know, two terms of Labour in that time since, and that's it, you know. Um, so he maybe wasn't wrong in that, but it was, it was, he wanted to kind of explore how something like that, which he didn't see as, at that time, a fascist government, sort of as a, as a highly conservative government, but also a lot of people who, I guess, vote for it weren't doing so from a hateful place. A lot of them were kind of Middle England, well-meaning people who just thought they were voting, doing the done thing for the good of the country and all that type of stuff. What does it take for for somebody with the wrong intentions or with the wrong circumstances around this for that to evolve into something very dangerous, into something very ugly? Um, and... I believe the, the, the main, I don't I can't remember it. I have read the graphic novel. I read it many years ago. I don't even think he was called Sutler in this, but I know, I remember that the main president figure in this, he wasn't just put up on a screen because they have that kind of detachment in the movie. He was, a, mm. a, you know, a being within that who still felt that he was doing the right thing. And he wasn't all kind of, 
like subtler is a not so um you know subtle change from hitler i believe in the in the movie um is is this shouting scary horrible fascist figure I think Moore's point more with the with the film was it's the it's the ones that think they're being well meaning the ones that shut down all sense or any kind of dissenting voices from elsewhere where they feel that they are just keeping up preserving this system this way of thinking that is for the good of everybody for the good of the country and you see, yeah, you see the people around him involved in some of these terrible things. I think there are a few other characters. I believe he has a henchman that isn't creedy in the graphic novel. Um, oh, really? But creedy is like the one of the underlings in there who, who is potentially going to be that Hitler type character. He's there waiting in the wings. So it's kind of showing you when, and he's not. I can't remember what his name is. I, I, I apologies. But whoever the president is at the time is this kind of like well-meaning, whatever. Still, he's a uh, ultra-conservative person. But he, when I say he's well-meaning, he thinks he's well-meaning. He's not out there to kind of do something that he thinks is evil. He's just propping up this system, whereas you've got this kind of evil person waiting in the wings. And the whole point is to show you the, the situation is rife for somebody really bad to take over. And it, it it was more sort of that comment on unending liberalism, if you like. And I mean that in the term of like, you know, the neoliberal government of, of a government that has absolute power, that believes it is acting in the best interests of the people at all times. And it will preserve these so-called best interests of the people by all means necessary, that it perhaps doesn't initially come from a place of, hatred from this fascist perspective but how that soon warps into fascism when we're talking about dissenting voices people that don't fit a chartered course how they are moved out of the way and people sleepwalk into fascism it isn't because in the film it's very much like this thing happens and then bang suddenly everyone votes in a fascist government because everybody turns evil what alan moore's original point was that things slowly degrade like you know societal freedoms liberalism it goes to mulch if it's not if there's no viable opposition and if there's nobody there saying this is wrong um but one of the big things that he did also kind of throw out with this film is that he saw V in the movie, at least, as somebody that was trying to bring things back to, because he's talking about like everything is still through the prism of government, of this sense of like social freedom still within a government framework. Whereas V was, he's painted something as an anti-hero in the, in the movie, but in the book, he's, he's very much an anti-hero. His kind of, there's there's much he's a much darker character really in that and his end game is anarchy because of what's happened to him he wants to destroy the fucking system he wants to destroy that society and say fuck you all fend for yourselves because i'm pulling this shit all down i never had a fucking life because it was taken from me so none of the rest of you are you can fucking fend for yourselves as well it was about anarchy it was about destroying everything Whereas the movie felt a lot more about like, we've got to empower everyone and make everyone kind of nice. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but I, I think you're right. That was the, that was the, um, that was the kind of line that the film 
gives you so that you will forgive V for the acts that he commits. I mean, he's Mm. happy to kill people. Sort of goes around and picks these people off one by one. And you, as an audience member, you don't at any... The only person that you feel some level of sympathy for is um is the is the Delia Surridge, the character play um by Sinead Cusack, who's who kind of he says, I killed you. Um I killed you ten minutes ago while you were sleeping. And she says, Will it hurt? And he says, No. Um and so there is that even then there's an element of humility and humanity in in the way that he's done it. Um but that was the only time where I actually think you see his character in a situation where you go, oh, this, I'm not sure I agree with that. That's kind of like, this This feels like suddenly too much and this feels like uncomfortable. But he's given enough of a backstory that his version of anarchy or the anarchy that he wants to bring about, you, he kind of goes, well, it's an eye for an eye. Right, I'm like we said earlier on. For every action, there's an equal reaction, and to him, this is just an equal reaction for the behaviour of of people. Kind of in the, I don't know how long ago it was. Did he say ten years? I think in the film, maybe. I think so. Um, So it kind of you do get that you you get that sense that he's in the film. They've certainly positioned him as someone that is going to go out and kind of go after these individuals because they have directly wronged him. Um, But actually, I don't know whether, I don't know, I don't think perhaps one slight flaw is that I don't think we feel the weight of what might happen. And just, sorry to come back to this, because I know that it's a really hard one to kind of like, a hard tightrope to walk, but... Do you ever get that feeling when you're watching the videos of Just Stop Oil protesters um, and you see the angry person who's jumped out of their car run over and like start sort of dragging them out of the road or hitting them or or, 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 or physically intimidating those people? And you said, and like, have you ever had that sort of like uncomfortable twinge of like, Oh, if this got out of hand. I always feel I always feel that those things are gonna I don't know how sometimes some of those protesters manage to keep their cool in the way that they do. Um because I think sometimes I I do completely understand and empathize with the frustrations of people that don't like the protesters. Um but I think sometimes people act in a way that they wouldn't if Let's be honest, the majority of those protesters weren't kind of older people or, mm-hmm. you know, people who maybe aren't, I'm not mischaracterizing, I'm just saying like, I think they tend to be fairly middle class young people who probably aren't, you know, physically violent types, shall we say. Yeah, yeah, which and certainly I think looks that way when you see these sort of sort of scenes where you've got, I saw one from, um, I think it was in Poland, the Polish kind of just a pull. And this guy in a lorry just basically started running them over. And I was like, Whoa. 
this is grim. Like it's really, yeah. and he does stop because he suddenly realizes they're not going to move. And to be, you know, they sat there. They sat there as this like articulated lorry is actually starting to go over them, and they're having to like lie down on the ground underneath it. And other people are telling the guy like, "Stop!" You know, that banging on the cab and stuff. But you yeah. think like, where does this go? Or what happens when you do have a person in a just a poor movement who suddenly, you know? Because I, I don't know. I don't. You know, we don't need to speculate about this type of stuff. But I, I do know what you mean. Things can go south, and it, things can go kind of. You know, and it makes you uncomfortable, right? Because you well, are we're, oh, suddenly we're, mate, aware we're of the seeing protests. Protests get criminalised in this country now. You know, because yeah, of people exactly. like Just Stop Oil. That's that's the that's the big one, right? Like, but that's, that's the sort the, of the elephant in that the room that's is staring the heart us of the film. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what the that, like you're saying. That's what Alan Moore's saying. It's like that's at the heart of this. It, it, it's the erosion of things bit by bit that make this film kind of like such a good mirror to hold up to ourselves because it's it's little things disappearing one by one and suddenly you're like oh okay well it's like a this is a parliament thing you know it's a government thing they're saying to keep roads open you know actually are you uh, has the fundamental right to protest just been taken away from you while you were asleep you know what like were you awake and alive enough to what was going on to understand that your freedoms are being taken away. And that's what the film is kind of like asking and saying. And equally, it paints V as a kind of, like you said, as a as an anti-hero. And even to, to some extent in the film, like V is kind of presented as someone who is just like morally in this black and white existence in the film. It's just kind of like on the right side morally. And we very rarely asked to kind of question his his kind of take or his the way in which he kind of carries things out like we don't even really we're kind of not really questioning of the fact that he tortures someone you know he tortures evie because we say oh it's for the greater good you know but actually that those are the actions of someone that's like fundamentally unhinged you know like that's that's not okay but we because because we we've bought in and as an audience, we see it through his lens. We kind of like just let it go, you know. And so that's perhaps one part of the film that it doesn't, maybe it doesn't quite do enough to show you that it's shades of grey, that it's not black and white. And that mm. it, violence is not really going to cut, like always cut it as like, well, yeah, it's okay to be violent because it's the revolution. Crack on, you know. But I am uh, veering a little bit into the final one of war well, kind of section there. I, I, I wanted to ask you, mate, because you know I'm conscious of time and everything. But before we before we do kind of move on to the to the business end of things, we sort of spoke about at the very top of this pod the symmetries between this film and modern day society right now, predominantly through you know the way in which media is used and the way in which the government utilizes certain messages. What I wanted to ask you, though, is from the human side of things, because I think one thing that this film couldn't have anticipated was the rise of social media, or at least the way in which social media is now. Um, and that's kind of that's one element that is lacking from the film. Do you think with the way things are now, we ever will have any sort of revolution? Because, you know, Fight, Fight Club touches on a lot of these these ideas of whether or not people ever will actually write and fight club will be a great film. It's not one we can do next week. So I'm not going to do any spoilers. We can't do fight club straight after this, but fight club touches on these, the veil of ignorance basically, as you have done there that we live within these, you know, 
Let's 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 be honest. You and I were having this conversation. Here, existences. Yeah, we're having this conversation, but we both do our day job. We're not out there gluing ourselves to roads. I'm very concerned about the environment. I support a lot of environmental charities. I love doing my walks around the fucking woods and hills and all this stuff around near where I live. But I'm not out there gluing myself to a road and stuff. I am still supporting different causes and things and doing that in my own way. But one might be tempted to call that slacktivism because I have my day job. I get to do my podcasts. I have my nice new TV that I keep talking about and I watch my films and I guess and I watch football and I guess there's a part of me that just pretends that all of this stuff isn't happening because it's easier for me to do that. It's easier for me to say, well, you know, I have all these anxieties that come with just being alive, being a human being in there, you know, mid to late thirties now that sometimes you just want to just relax and turn your mind off. Do you think that this is, do you think the game is rigged now? Do you think there is any way that people are going to rise up and, and bring down these kind of governments, especially in the West, in America, in Britain, because, or in Europe at large, because to me, I worry and I feel like, and I'm not calling for somebody to go and blow up the Houses of Parliament, don't get me wrong, but what I'm saying is that we feel far too divided as a society now for one coherent, cohesive message to rise up out of the rubble of anything. Because it feels like now when anybody wants to raise a positive message, anything, Greta Thunberg, all it is is, oh, look at her, even people mocking her autism. You know, that's all that it comes down to is attacking the individual, is looking at all the things. Oh, actually, well, she says that the environment's bad, but her dad drives this car and her mum and dad have this company and they sent her to this school, which is funded by these. Do you know what I mean? There's always these rabbit holes that we're taken down to that just throws cold water over the fire of any form of dissent now that... I do even wonder if even violence or anything stops. It feels like end And I hate to put this hopeless message out into the world. And I do always like to cling on to the idea that, you know, there is power in an idea that maybe, maybe if things got too far in this country that people would stop. But I say this in the backdrop of us flying refugees off to Rwanda of mm-hmm. spending hundreds of millions of pounds on a fucking barge to just a, a prison to put people in who are coming here safe, seeking safe haven, one of the richest countries on the face of the planet that can afford to help people, that has a history that is, yeah, okay, I understand, littered with not helping people, of very much actively being an aggressor in a global stage, but perhaps in a more recent history of, and I, I revert to say, you know, the, the European children, the Jewish children, the Jewish people coming over in the Second World War being given safe, safe haven in Britain, that we've completely forgotten that and nobody seems to care. You just called, or we care, but if you do even say anything about it, you're seen as somehow woke or a snowflake or this type of thing. Feels like the game's rigged to me now, mate. Like, Well, and to go one step further, what does what has to happen? You know, because I think like... I wondered whether, I mean, we saw in America and we saw with the Black Lives Matter movement that there is a point where people will sort of just say enough is enough, mm. you know, and, and, and we'll take to the streets. Um, but because of the way in which 
these kind of like you kind of described it they they almost feel like what's what's the terminology it's almost like death by a thousand paper cuts isn't it yeah you you sort of are like you and I'm not talking about George Floyd I'm talking more about the UK current landscape at the moment you see these things and you're like that's just awful like week after week we see something that makes us just kind of so upset i mean it, it happened for me i i really wanted um i really wanted i, I didn't want to leave europe i was quite <laughs> i was i loved the fact that my future as a young person at the time in 2016 um i'm old now but um <laughs> it, that as a young person at the time like it i was like i could just go and I could just go and live and I could go and like, and maybe if I have kids, they could just kind of go to any European country. You know, I I personally just, again, that's just a personal thing. That for me was like, oh, I hate that. And I was in France at the time because I think it was the Euros going on. And I remember the way in which people just started suddenly behaving towards me as someone with an English accent. And I I thought, oh, that, that kind of sucks. And then... That would have been, I mean, there are countless things that happened before then, but even after then, you just look and you see these bit by bit, these little things that make you just like, oh, that's rubbish. Oh, that, I can't believe that we've got that wrong. And I can't believe we've got that wrong. And you, uh, like the big one that kind of jumps out at me that I think regardless of where you sit on the political spectrum, like w- w- where you are in terms of maybe being like a conservative voter or someone who's more liberal or someone who would go further right or further left, everyone felt horrendously um, angry and and attacked by the behaviour of, of people during Partygate. Mm. Everyone felt like that was an affront. That was a how dare you behave like that at a time when we are literally all panicking for our lives and at a time when we all look around us and, and, and we're unable to see the people we love the most in some of the most dire situations that you could have ever possibly imagined before COVID. And those people were sort of laughing in our faces and we still didn't really take to the streets, you know? And so to your question, I wonder what has to happen? Like what What is it that... When is an when is when are people going to be like I don't really, like I don't want to do this anymore you know and I think that's the that's one of the fundamental questions of the film the film kind of encourages you to wonder what it will take for people to like how far can you push people before they'll go like I I, I that that's the end like I'm I'm done with this now and what does it take in order to start uh creating momentum and how do you harness that momentum and how do you ensure that it's not just one dissenting voice how do you ensure that it's not isolated little pockets of people that will get laughed at or ridiculed how do you ensure that it's this massive wave that is an unstoppable force really it's gathering momentum all the time and it can't be can't be turned back and i think that's that's kind of why i i love this film so much because it encourages you to kind of go down this rabbit hole of trying to work out what it is like where we are on on at any given moment in time where we are on that sliding spectrum of of a bit just what is it what is it called is it the overton window 
I think it's is something that the, like that, isn't it? The Overton window, yeah. That and that is basically the the kind of like up and down of at one end is unthinkable, at the other end is unthinkable, and in the middle is popular, sensible, acceptable, and then it goes into radical and unthinkable again. And you sort of wonder at any given moment how close are we with our current ideas within society and the public consciousness? Where are we currently at in that window, and how wide is that window? Is it just this kind of pol- whatever's popular at the time being a very narrow and prescriptive window? Or what will it take to finally make things that were deemed as unthinkable and crazy and too far out there to suddenly feel like, yeah, we're going to do that? And and it, it, at the moment, it doesn't seem like, to your point, it doesn't seem like there's a huge amount that m- brings people to their feet, you know, that gets people up off their up off their bum and listen I'm one of those people I'm not someone that is like when I went to the student and when I went to the the student fees march it was because it directly affected me and it directly affected like thousands of other people that were like me that uh, that I saw the the immediate impact and that's perhaps the selfishness of of me as an individual but all of us around as well it's not until we see it actively sort of affecting us in our day-to-day lives that we're prepared to jump up but to, in answer to your question, I have no idea sort of whether we're in a point where people are just now passive or whether we just, as a as a kind of like, as a society need to, what, one of the things we used to always used to say is we need to insert the injustice into to people. That was what they're, they're, they're kind of, it's a really good mate of mine who's now actually a member of the Labour Party, but he used to be the, stu- the National Union of Students president. He used to say, like, it's not that people don't care and it's not that people kind of... Uh, p- people always used to have the... What's the what's the word where people just kind of, like, lackadaisical and unmoved? Um, and like, what do you mean? It's just like envy, isn't it? You know, it's just yeah, what's listlessness. It? Just it's kidding. going, you know, one day it's to just the next. Sort of, yeah, it's kind of ap- apathy. That's it. That yeah. he used to say, like people are not apathetic. People care, but you just have to insert the injustice so that they can realise that they care. Bring it to the front of their minds. And I and I think the what this film does is definitely for me this week. As soon as I watched it, it's filled my mind with things that I'm like, oh, that's actually more uncomfortable than I realised. And that's actually reflects more of what's going on in, in modern society than I realised. Um, so, yeah, it was, a, it, was a, it was an interesting one this week. Should we, um, I, should we do I the business end? W- one thing I would say, mate, is if they, uh, on, I think if, if, they, if they ban booze in Britain, that's when the riots start, mate. Yeah, you know? that's when it kicks off. <laughs> exactly. It, it, banning booze and the throwing of garden furniture on foreign soil while supporting England at major <laughs> tournaments will be <laughs> enough to tip people that's over the it. edge. It's gone. Shit's going down. <laughs> Shit's going down when that happens. There'll be fucking a um, thousand different people trying to blow up the Houses of Parliament if that happens. <laughs> should we do, uh, should we do the final one of war crime? You go first, mate. Um, I, you know, I didn't see much in here that felt like a war crime. I thought it was, I thought it was a, 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 a real fine wine. I mean, I think one, one thing I might say in terms of has been a bit of a war crime is that it could be argued that, you know, again kind of the minorities are used as a device by which to enact horrors onto them to say you know here's some emotion because awful things have happened to minority groups without really giving them a voice you know 
Um, yeah. But the whole point is that this is an awful fascist society that is denying, you know, said minority groups life, let alone a voice, you know? Um, and yeah. I guess V, as we said, is maybe the embodiment of all of those, even though it has taken shape in the form of a, you know, a straight white man in, in Hugo weaving, you know? But yeah, I think the the key message behind the film is is a fine, fine wine. And it's one, it, I almost look at like FIFA Vendetta as I think Alan Moore, if, whether it's intentional or not, Alan Moore being a, you know, a brilliant kind of comic book writer who was always on the darker side of things. I think he's written a couple of Batmans. He wrote The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. So it's, you know, it's very much a superhero. And there is a tinge of superhero-ness about V for Vendetta. Um, but it's almost like repackaging the, like the story of 1984 or Brave New World or, you know, something like Darkness at Noon by Arthur Kessler, which was, uh, you know, a, a story written about, I think, like one of the Russian revolutions or something like that. These sort of stories that go throughout time that he is told in a way that is going to be accessible to a new audience because i think there are some people who may go into this having seen the trailer of explosions of a guy swinging swords swinging knives about but in fact that's such a minor part of the film the film really is all about you know so it's discussions all around power and the nature of absolute power and how dangerous that can be and human beings as a collective or as an individual and their place within the system and how we can fight against that. And I think, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a timeless message and the baton, you know, will be passed as well. It has been passed from Alan Moore to the Wachowski sisters who recreated this in movie format, you know? Yeah. I, 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 do you know what? I'll kind of chuck it to the audience on this one because I've made a couple of notes just in terms of things that possibly could be seen as, as the the sort of war crime end of the spectrum, but I actually think that like I, I do think it's a it's an important one. I think it is a, a fine wine in terms of the way that it's aging because so much of it actually seems to reflect a lot of what's going on right now. Mm. Um, and I and I guess the only the only thing that, like there is a, there is a question at some point one for another day is that whole idea of one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter yep. in the lens that we look at this through is through what V is doing is, is fundamentally important. And we are led as an audience to be right behind V and never question some of those actions and some of those acts. The fact that he tortures Evie, the fact that kind of um, he just kills lots of people without any kind of, any kind of, um, stopping for a second to to kind of think about his actions because to him it's it, again like we said earlier on it's an eye for an eye but other than that i think it is a i think it's a really really important film and i do think to come back to the question that i raised right at the beginning i think this is this is a film that when you watch it again and again and again you realize that it's deep not dumb it is a it is mm. a it is a film that's saying a lot um who's your mvp mate Uh, I think I'll give it to Natalie Portman, you know. I, Do you, I, were you okay yeah. with the English accent? I was okay with it. I think it was, I think it's, I've heard much worse. I think it was, it was decent <laughs> enough. I think she rocks a skinhead. Um, oh my God. How? That's unreal. Yeah. She looked even more stunning 
with the shaved head. I mean, that's it. I, I, don't, I don't want to get too leds, 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 but you know, she is, she is beautiful. And you know, she looks amazing with the, with the shaved head, but that's not the point. You know, uh, I remember she I actually think... did it as well. Did you know that? Yeah. 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 So that and scene that... where they shaved her head, they did it in one take. Like they, they wasn't like they used a wig and then shaved really? that. It was, that was literally her reaction to her head being Method. shaved. Method. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think she was great. I think the her emotional portrayal of Evie as somebody who is this, you know, the the daughter, the child of political dissidents who have been exterminated by this regime. Her journey from denying all of that, denying her own reality, denying her own truth, working as a foot soldier for this establishment to finally getting it because she's the personification of us all, right? That thing I was talking yeah. to you about there, how we do a podcast and blah, 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 slacktivism. She's supposed to be all of us. The person that knows something is wrong, but doesn't quite have the conviction to do anything about it, to step away from her comfortable life. And I just think the way that she, that journey on screen that, that she takes us through, her performance, really culminating, obviously when she pulls the lever, but I think the the real pinnacle of it is, you know, God is in the rain, that moment when you feel the emotion coming out of her. I think she does that. I think she does it brilliantly. Yeah. I think she, yeah, I think like pretty much every every beat of the film, she's she's great in it. Yeah, nice. I, I, I'll go for Hugo Weaving solely because I will I liken it to um, Tom Hardy's performance in Dunkirk. Like the ability to give that much expression without being able to use your face is such an unbelievable skill. Mm. It's such a talent. Like being able to kind of like convey everything. Like, you know that bit when he, he she says, when she's just come out of the torture sort of part of his, he kind of like captured her and tortured her. And and she he says she said something to the effect of I don't want to hear anything anymore and he said that's it I thought like I was exactly the same I thought I just hated everyone and I didn't want to I, I couldn't breathe because I was so filled with hatred um, and, uh, and and you're just like wow he's got a mask with the same expression on that hasn't moved for an hour and a half or two hours of the film and he's getting across that much emotion just with his body and his, his voice alone. I I was I thought it was magnificent, and also I just love him in general. Um, so we'll we'll put that to the audience as well. What do we got on the ratings front? So on the ratings, IMDb notoriously hard to please. Eight point two out of ten. That's a very Ooh, good rating. Okay, okay. Eight point two out of ten for FIFA Vendetta. Rotten Tomatoes. Critic score. It's gotten certified fresh, but seventy three percent. That's interesting. I would be interested to know what the lowest rated certified fresh is because I thought the certified fresh was mainly reserved for the 90% yeah, yeah. and upwards. But 73% yeah. and certified fresh, 90% on the audience score um, for Rotten Tomatoes, is worth saying. Just um, seen it. It's at 159 mm. on the IMDb Top 250 as well. There you go. And on Metascore, critics on Metascore, 62%. Um, with a user score of 7.8. Um, not great. I'll give you ooh, the Washington Post. This is what Stephen Hunter, who gave it 2 out of 10 of the Washington, of the Washington Post, said, a piece of pulp claptrap 
It has no insights whatsoever into totalitarian psychology and always settles for the cheesiest kind of demagoguery. Uh, they, they say they dude. want a revolution, then give us a revolution. One that's believable, frightening, heroic, coherent, and not a teenager's freaky power trip. Sounds like you're oh, a foot soldier of the establishment there, Mr. Stephen Hunter. Yeah, That's what I'm saying. we've got a George, we've got a George Bush fan there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, there we go. That's 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 what we're, on, we on, we the, we're on the review. So you know, I love it. Okay, right. Most important moment of the pod, mate. Where are we going to next week? I, do you know? What? Even as I say this, I haven't. I haven't made my mind up, mate. I really haven't I made love my mind that. up. That um, is exciting because it could go because, anywhere from here. Well, you you threw a bit of a curveball last week because you said to me, old or new, newer. You know, and I was like, mm. oh. Mm. I don't know. And I felt because Rocky, we'd already, you know, we just had Actually, a let 70s me bring the music movie. Down. We, uh, we probably should, yeah, let's just, let's go newer again. But now the more and more I'm saying this, because I've got one like right on the, on the tip of it that I'm saying it isn't, it isn't particularly new, but it is newer than the other option I have. But there's something about it, I don't know why, that's just, maybe it just doesn't feel like. The right time to drop the newer one now. So when I say Go I'm going, heart. when I say I'm going older, mate, I'm going older. I'm talking oh, black okay. and black and white older. And oh, this is going to be wow. first black and white film. This is going to be a first for BYOB, but it is. It may well be a black and white movie, but it is a movie that I feel stands the test of time. That has inspired an entire industry of of different movies that has come from a director who revolutionized cinema who pretty much ripped up the kind of the rule book into how films should be made and what people should be allowed to be seen on screen what is decent and what isn't um it may be black and white it may be old but i think Anybody who still hasn't seen this film will be able to watch this this week and enjoy it. I'm going to go with Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. I've never seen it. You haven't seen it? There we go, mate. Yeah, I'm there getting a first-timer. I love it. I love it. Right, okay. This is exciting. I, I'm, like, I'm absolutely... But this is kind of like an all-timer, isn't it? This is like one of those if sort of a must-watch before you die sort of thing. Can I just say ahead of this as well, mate? A- ahead of this... We talk about amazing film scores, one of the very best. Like, is this up there? One of right. the very best. So, stick yeah. me down. Stick me down. Love that, mate. Another another pod in the bank. Looking forward to next week. There we go. Reep, reep, reep. Enjoy. Have a good one. <laughs> <laughs> Take care.